doctrine. These are the things that you need to know. Here are some of the things that I want you to know. You know, and one of the biggest things as far as the book of Colossians is concerned is that in the book of Colossians, Paul is dealing with some outside teachings, some Gnosticism, some um, uh, Jewish traditions. He's, he's dealing with things that are coming in from outside the church. This mysticism from Gnostic teaching pretty much was saying that you had to be very, very intellectual, very uh, spiritually minded. Didn't matter what the body did because it didn't matter. Your body was going to just be destroyed anyways. But as long as you had this intellectual, this mystical understanding of who God was. And so for the Gnostics in, that, in those days, a lot like what people do today, they were dependent upon outside revelation. In other words, whatever they heard from an angel or from God or from a spirit or something, that to them was, okay, this has got to be real. I felt it. I experienced it. I seen it. And therefore, this is what God wants us to do. And so they would hype themselves up and they would whip themselves up to these frenzies and, and get into these trances type of things. And, and they would see visions and they would, they would hear voices and things that would come to them. And then they would come and tell the church, here's what we need to do. And here, in order for you to be saved, in order for you to be connected to God, you need to listen to what we're saying. That was part of it. The other part was the Jewish tradition part where they said, well, in order for you to be saved, in order for you to be doing right by God, you need to follow all these traditions. You need to be circumcised was one of the things that was, yeah, just like speaking about God. Amen. And then the Lord said, they just drop me down a little bit there, turn it off. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. And the tradition of, of Moses was to be circumcised on the eighth day. And if you weren't circumcised, you weren't part of the body. Uh, you had to follow the traditions, you had to follow the Sabbaths, you had to follow all the dietary laws. And, and so they were bringing in all these various types of traditions and thinkings and thoughts and philosophies. And Paul says, I don't want you guys to fall prey to these things. And, and you need to understand that Jesus Christ is not just a spirit. He's not an angel. He's not, he is God himself. And he tells us uh, in, in verses 15, chapter 1, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And he says, all things are created through him and for him. Basically saying Jesus Christ is not just another person. He's not a good teacher, which he is. He's not just another good teacher. He's not just another prophet. He is the prophet. He is the teacher. He is God incarnate. And so as Paul is sharing these, these doctrines with them, He's telling them that we should not let anybody lead us astray. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Don't let anybody tell you what uh, you have to believe. Because Paul says, I've already taught you these things. And we, we talked about this last week. He says in verse 16 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festivals or new moons or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. Yes, the Old Testament laid them out in, in the Old Testament. God laid out these, uh, the Passover meal. He laid out the festivals, the Feast of Booths, the uh, Sukkot, all these various traditions and all these various signs. The circumcision, was, which was later to be the circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. In other words, you needed to be a person that stood out amongst everyone. And so what, what Paul was saying is, is, yes, don't let anybody judge you because you haven't done those things. Because, well, first of all, those things aren't necessary. Your faith in Jesus Christ is what you need. Now, what we do, and this is what Paul's going to get into, what we do 
because of what we believe, that is going to determine your salvation. That is going to determine who you really are. Because your beliefs ought to dictate and determine and move you forward. Your beliefs ought to determine your behavior, should determine your behavior. Because what you, what you believe, you're only going to do what you believe. And you can say that you believe this, and you can say that you believe that, and you can say that you, know, you trust God with all your life and all your heart, and you can say, I trust God with all my finances, with all my relationships, I trust God with everything that I have. Yet, if you don't practice that, you really don't believe it. And this is why Paul spends the next two chapters telling us very, very quickly in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, if then, and remember, I said this last week, this if then is kind of like one of those therefores, and I, we just did the therefore. You know, these are all the things that you say you believe that I'm telling you to believe in. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, with Christ who is your life when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, Malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self with its, with it, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave, free, but all, but Christ in all and in all. Father in heaven, this is. A lot that Paul packed into this portion of the scripture. Help us to go through it verse by verse, thought by thought, and apply it to our life. If we believe and we claim to be Christians saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have died in him, then Father, help us to live that way. It's not an easy task because the world doesn't understand it. Most of our family doesn't understand it. A lot of our friends don't understand the lifestyle that we live. But Father, we are going to live this lifestyle that you have placed before us. So teach us this morning through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> There's some Christians who will defend the truth as much as possible, and they will go at it. However, their personal life sometimes deny the doctrines that they profess. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul tells Titus, or Paul tells Titus this. He says, you know, here's what they do. They profess to know God. But they deny him by their works. They are, de they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The most disrespectful and detestable Christian that there is, is one that says they are a Christian, they believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, yet they continue in their sin. And they justify by saying, I'm just a work in progress. You know, he's forgiven me. I am okay, you know, because God loves everyone. You know, the Bible says, love the sinner, you know, hate the sin. So, you know, don't hate me, just hate the sin that I'm doing, and I'm okay because God really just loves me. And it is one of the most ugliest things. As a matter of fact, what Jesus Christ says at the end time, he talks to one of the churches, he says, you know, I really wish that you were just hot or cold. 
But lukewarm Christians, he says, I mean, they make me sick. He said, they, they, they want, I want to just spew them out of my mouth. That's the verse we ought to use. The people say, that say that I'm just a work in progress. You can't judge. Who are you to judge? You know, as a matter of fact, that's one of the biggest verses, one of the most used and misused verses of all times. And especially by non-Christians. Who are you to judge? And we get, oh, well, yeah, you're right. I'm not supposed to judge. Yes, you are. You are to keep and hold people accountable. Now, that verse, when Jesus says, do not judge, he's, he's basically saying, you don't condemn, because only God can condemn. And then he says a little bit later in Matthew chapter 7, by the way, in verse 1, nobody knows where it's at. In Matthew chapter 7, he goes on to say, you know, I want you to distinguish between the, the sheep and the shepherd. Watch out for false prophets. They are sheep, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. How am I going to know what a wolf is if I don't judge it? If I don't, you know, I've got to analyze this. Then he says, you know, you've got to be careful for the, the Pharisees, for the good fruit and the bad fruit. How am I supposed to do that if I don't judge it? As a matter of fact, it's one of the most misused verses. Beloved, if you're a Christian and you say that you're a Christian and you know people that are Christians, you need to hold them accountable. And then if they say, who are you to judge? I, I stop and say, are you feeling judged? Because those words never came out of my mouth. They came out of your mouth. Are you feeling judged? Good. Because that's what the Word of God says and does. It judges your hearts. It convicts you of sin. Repent. That's what you ought to do. Repent. Paul says they are detestable. They deny, their, they deny him, Jesus Christ, by the works. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said basically the same thing that Isaiah said. He said, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So there's some things here that Paul wants to remind us of. And, and he's going to talk a little bit more into theological uh, understanding. But I want to put this into a practical sense to help us at least to go back to some things that we ought to put into practice. First of all, number one, he says here, we have been raised with Christ. Number one, in Colossians chapter three, verse one, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. And this whole concept of what Jesus, what Paul has been talking about, what Jesus did for us, that when he died on the cross and we believe what he said to us and we believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, then we have also died as well. And I'm going to flesh this out a little bit more next week. But right now, understand that those who, are, those who have died in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And, and it is, it is, it is it, I, I sometimes I'm bewildered and, and I'm wondering, how is it that you're still the same old person in the vocabulary, the language that you use, the practices that you do, the things that you continue doing if the old is gone? And the new has not even come yet. And so when Paul is talking about us being dead to ourselves, he says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Symbolically, Paul is saying, we baptize you. We baptize you into the body of Christ. You're baptized into Christ. And there's this thought and this idea that you're supposed to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what he does is he baptizes you into the body of Christ. And 
the picture of the baptism, which is very beautiful. I mean, it, it just displays it very nicely on how when a person claims to be a, a Christian, I believe, I, I want to follow Christ. The first thing that, that Jesus Christ said is be baptized. Be baptized. That's your first commandment, to follow. So you, you baptize a person, and what you do is you dump them in the water, and they are buried in Christ, and then they are resurrected. It's a picture. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it symbolizes that belief that you believe. You've put it into practice, and it determines your behavior. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I believe that he said that I should be baptized. Therefore, my behavior is going to be, I'm going to be baptized in front of people. I'm going to invite my family. I'm going to invite everybody so that they can see that my old is gone and my new has come. It's a powerful picture of what Jesus Christ did. Powerful picture. And he says when we are raised in Christ, you see, this is something that's going to happen in the future. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, uh, this is probably not in your outline because I did some changes this morning. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If nothing else, beloved, we owe Jesus Christ our life because of what he did on the cross for me, for us. And to, you know, just proclaim it with your lips and say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross and continue to live in the same way that you do. It is, it is blasphemy in a sense. You're not believing what Jesus Christ did for you. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I just had to repeat that once again. Number two, because, as he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, we seek the things above. In the rest of that verse, it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Putting our beliefs into practice, into behavior, because they ought, to, they ought to determine what it is that we do. Everything that you do, you do it because you believe that's the right thing. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. When something comes out of your mouth, the Bible says that that's what's in your heart. If you uh, are constantly using bad words, it's because you have a bad heart. If you're constantly angry and yelling, get rid of malice and all these things that we talked about, it's because your heart is angered and, has, and is full of malice. Dissension, things that you know, just cause all kinds of strife. If you are a very jealous person and those things come out of your mouth, it's because you have a very jealous heart. This is why we have to have a new heart. You have to be born again. You have to have a new disposition. The old is gone, beloved, and the new needs to come forward. And so we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But those are, the, those are the things that we have to do. Now, just to kind of go over a little bit of how to put our faith into practice, our beliefs into practice. Let me ask you a question very quickly. Just kind of respond as the best way you can. I'm just going to say a few words and I want you to finish the sentence. If I were to say, I, at the end of my Okay, I am so angry. Okay, I'm about to throw in the towel. Yeah, there you go. So you guys are going to need this message. You guys are going to this one. 
Because the one thing that God says, and Jesus Christ stated, and he's been saying this throughout the whole Bible, he says, don't worry, don't give up, don't be discouraged, do not fear, do not be anxious for anything. Over and over and over and over again, God tells you, don't do that. And the moment we start to stress out or to worry, for whatever little reason, you call God a liar. And you basically are saying, I don't believe you, God. When you told me not to worry, I'm going to worry anyways. You see, God, because you can't handle my problem. My problem is you ought to handle everybody else's problems, but you're not handling my problem. Therefore, I have to worry about this. And I will stress over it. And I will... I will die worrying. Because you know what? Exactly, beloved, you will. Worry, stress, anxiety. I, I, I will die before I stop worrying. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And Jesus says, don't do it. As a matter of fact, he gives us a nice little lesson in Matthew chapter 6. Actually, I'm going to be going out of, a, I think it's Luke. Yeah, Luke chapter 12. You can up your, open up your Bibles there if you'd like to. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 and on. Jesus, in, in the... Uh, in Matthew, he has just finished talking about the, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to them about the things that you ought to do. You've heard it said, do not be, do not be angry. I tell you, do not commit murder. Every time you, you're angry at your brother, you've murdered him. Uh, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, the moment you think about it in your mind, you've already enlisted after a woman, you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said. He starts off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that are persecuted. You know, you're going to get persecuted. Why, why even worry about getting persecuted? And he, he, he just shares the whole Sermon on the Mount on our new lifestyle. These are the things that you ought to do. And then he closes it off at the end, right almost to the end. He says, you know what? Here's something that I need to tell you. Therefore, he gives us that therefore. And we have to go back and look at that in Matthew chapter 12 when you get a chance. In verse 22, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, I don't believe Jesus is trying to teach us to run around naked without anything to eat. Okay. He is just saying, you know, some people that you just worry about, you know, where am I going to get my next meal? You know, everybody's worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Am I going to have enough money for rent? Am I going to have enough money for, for gas? Am I going to have enough, you know, the gas bill has gone up twice or three times or four times or five. Am I going to have, am I going to have enough money to take care of those things? And you know what? You show up the next day, you still have gas, you still have food, you still have clothes, and you're worried about all these things that you didn't even know if you were going to have them or not. And then you, you worry that day and yesterday's gone and you say, you know, I shouldn't have worried about yesterday. I shouldn't have worried about the clothes and all those things that, you know, and, and there goes that cycle. Jesus says, do not do it. You know why? Because worry, number one, or letter A, is unreasonable. Now, this is a sermon that we've taught, and I've taught a few times already. And it just seemed like it was a, a good time for it to come up again. Because there are a lot of things that we should be worried about, or a lot of people are worried about. A lot of things. Our government, our state, our city, our homes. There are a lot of things that we have to be worried about. And, and he says, it's It's unreasonable. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Because life, ultimately, when you die, you can't take any of that with you. In life, in life you're going to leave it all behind. It's all going to fall off. Number two, letter B, worry is unnatural. 
He says, no, not only is it unreasonable, I mean, you know, I don't know why you're worried about these things that you can't even change anyways. You know, if you can change it, change it. And if you can't, just move on. There are things that you can do in your life that you can change. Sometimes we overspend or we don't, we don't budget right or we don't prioritize and we put things, everything seems to be an emergency. Everything seems to be like, right now, I've got to take, this, take care of this. It's got to be done. You focus. We seek the things that are above. And Jesus says, you know, consider the ravens. Consider the birds. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Now just take a look at this. I mean, a very simple illustration. But you know, as the people are out there on the Sermon on the Mount, they're looking at the birds and they're, they're watching them. Just everywhere they go, they're, they're packing away food that is left over. Of seed, of grain, of, of insects, of whatever it is that God is feeding them with. Just look at them. Fluttering around. Pick up real estate. Move it around all over the place. They don't have a barn. Of how much more value are you than birds? You know, when you're worried about your life, what you're going to take in, you're basically saying, you know, God, you, you care more for birds than you do me. And Jesus is saying, how much more valuable are you? You need to understand that your beliefs... You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You believe that he is, the, he is God. You believe that He created all things. All things were created by Him and for Him. You, cre- you believe that He holds everything together. You believe that He died on the cross for you. You believe that you don't need anything else because He is sufficient. You believe that, that everything that He's done, He's done it to save His elect. And you believe that you're part of His elect. And you believe that all these things that work together, they're all going to work together for good. Yet... We worry. We worry. You know, I'm not as important as a bird, God. And then look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. One of the things that's going to happen here pretty soon, beloved, and I think most of you know this already, is that the mountains right here, because they've been drenched, with, with so much rain and, and then the sun is coming out and all those wildflowers that are going to come out. It's just going to be a beautiful sight to, to see. And I don't know if it happens much on this side as it does in certain areas, but when I would travel up north in the, to Fresno, you would see the, the I-5, the, the grapevine, just all on that side of the mountain, on the west side of the, on the east side of the freeway, as the sun is baking that side of the freeway, poppies and larkspurs and all sorts of, all kinds of flowers. You know, you, you have uh, lavender and you have sage and, and just the aroma and the smell. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful display. People come from miles to take pictures of these mountains and all the flowers. And then within a couple of days, they're gone. And God is saying, you know, I, I mean, I, I dressed the mountains. Look, but this is here and there. I take care. Aren't you a little bit more worth than that? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, and all this glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was the richest king, the most wisest king. He was the great, one of the greatest kings of all history, according to the Jewish tradition. And he had everything that he ever wanted. Beautiful garbage from all over the country. People would bring him silk and wool and all kinds of things. And he would just make all these clothing up for himself. And yet, when he died, he didn't take any of it with him. It's not even Solomon, the wisest, greatest king that you know of, can compare to what God can do 
in the mountains? Why are you worried about those things? Why, why, why even worry yourself over those things? Letter C in the back of your outline. It's unhelpful. Worry is unhelpful. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? We are so worried about our health. We're so worried about our well-keeping, our exercising. And you should be. I mean, you should take care of your health. Uh, you know, but if you are worried about extending your life, Jesus is saying here, you can't add another hour to your life. Because when your time comes, your time comes, and that's it. And people have, have you know, and, and, and just to show you this as an example, you know, there have been people that have been ill for years. My mom was ill for two years before she finally passed away. If she would have taken better care of herself, I believe that her quality of life would have been extended, but not her life. But that was her appointed time. I know people that have been on uh, medication and dialysis and heart you know, monitors and all kinds of things, and they've been existing for 8, 10, 12 years. And I believe that if you would have taken care of themselves, you would have extended the quality of your life, but you cannot extend the quantity of your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, and there's a lot of people that I know of, that I've read of, that were very healthy. Healthy in, in, in so many different ways because of what, uh, you know, they've taken care of their, their life and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, they pass out. I had a cousin just a few weeks ago. You know, he's a little bit older than me and exercised, pumping weights. And he was in the, his weight room in his house and he was just going at it. And all of a sudden he had a big sharp pain in the back of his leg. He sat down and he died. Come to find out that he had a blood clot. He died healthy. That was the end of his life. And it happens over and over and over again. Beloved, you cannot add a single minute, an hour, a second. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? You can't. Take care of your health, though. Because you want to be healthy until that point. Amen? You don't want to be bedridden until that point. If then, Jesus goes on to say, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't even do just one little thing. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that. And this is something that Jesus says, this is a really little thing for me. You know, your life is your life. It's, you, you had no control over when you were going to come in, and you had no control as to when you were going to go out. You, you, had, you had no control over how you were going to be born, to whom you were going to be born, and how, you know, nothing. You were born on that day, and it's documented, and guess what? Your ending, your expiration is also documented. And what we do in between is we take care of ourselves. We, we preach the gospel, we believe God, and we believe that He ultimately has the last say-so. And if I can't extend that part, which Jesus is just a little thing. To me, it's just a, I can give people life forever. As a matter of fact, guess what? I give people eternal life. So, why worry about the little things? Yeah. You know, I'm out here hanging on eternal life. To those who have repented. To those who have become uh, mine. Because my sheep hear my voice. An hour? In the scope of eternity? That's just a little thing. Why are you worried about those things, Jesus says? Why? Why are you anxious about the rest? Letter D. Worry is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Underline this part. 
Oh, you of little faith. It's unnecessary. Because everything that God has created and everything that God has done, it's done. And when we do not understand or realize that God is going to take care of us regardless, or maybe he'll take care of us in his way, and not in the way I want him to, but in his way. So Jesus is saying, you know, I thought you said you had faith. I thought you said you had faith about how Jesus Christ is going to take care of you and watch over you and provide for you. And yet, you know, here we are worried about our finances. Worried about how we're going to pay. Just be wise stewards. You know, God has given you the ability to, to add and subtract and to realize, you know what? We're, spend, we're spending more than what's coming in. Be wise stewards about what you eat. You know, you want to extend the, the quality of your life, not the quantity of your life, but the quality of your life. The, the, you know, God has given you the ability to research and look at certain things that you should eat and not eat. You know, you know I mean, you, if you want to have a good relationship, well, love, the Bible is very full of, of how to treat your wife and how to treat your husband. You know, and, and when we're hidden in Christ, I'm going to touch on this just a little bit, but when we're hidden in Christ, all these things are available to you. On your finances, your, your health, your relationships, everything that you need to know is hidden in Christ. And when you're hidden in Christ, you have access. See, the world doesn't see it. They, they see you as a mind-numb robot. As one that is being brainwashed. They, the world sees it as one that is, is not you know, in contact with society. A lot of the children that are being homeschooled are, are being told, you know, they're not going to be able to socialize well. And people say, you call that a bad thing? <laughs> and that's a bad thing. Why? You know, I don't want my kids in this society. I don't want my kids in this stuff that they're in. Really? Trying to convince them that the little boys can be girls and little girls can be boys? I don't want them in that. Yeah. They're not going to socialize well. Because they're not. And people call you, you know, uptight. Or they call you, a, what is that, conspiracy theorist? Or they call you whatever. Call crazy. crazy. Yeah, you're crazy. Oh, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm a fool. I'm a fool for the Lord. Yes. That's what Paul says. You know, and, and the bottom line, Jesus says this, let her eat. Worry is unchristian. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink or to be or nor be worried. For all the nations, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, everyone else of the world, seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Everybody. The whole world. Every, every person that is not connected to God. And does not understand the things that you understand, that God is going to provide for you, take care of you, with little or much, or whatever the case may be. You know, you're, you're only given what you can handle. You know, He doesn't give everybody the same amount of talents. To one, He gives one, to one, He gives five, and another one gives ten. And the one that He gave ten to, He multiplies. He He's got twenty now. Well done, my good and faithful servant. To the one He gives five, He goes and multiplies His five because that's as much as He can do. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yet, there are many people that are given at least one talent. Everybody has a talent and they don't do anything with it. But squander it. You know, you know what the Father says? Depart from me, you sons of iniquity. For I never knew you. Take that talent away from Him because He's not doing any good with it and give it to somebody else. 
It's not everybody gets the same talents. That's why I didn't get 10 because you know, I can't even handle one. <laughs> I can barely handle one. I'm not a billionaire because I can't even handle $1,000. Well, maybe it's a little bit different now, but you know, it's, you know that, that's one of the reasons. Irresponsible. But I believe in what you have, if you use it, God will put it into practice. It's unchristian. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things. Now remember the verse that we jumped off of on this. It says, seek the things that are above. So here's what we do. Number three, we set our minds on the things above. In Colossians chapter, two, chapter three, verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. See, everything that you see on this earth, everything that you see on this planet is going to be stripped away. Everything is going to burn away. Everything is going to be demolished. Everything will be destroyed. Everything on this planet has an end. That's why we need to seek the things that are above. Jesus put it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The same, same verse in, in Luke as well. This is out of Matthew. Seek first his kingdom. We seek these things. And so, so what Paul says is, you know, here's the thing that I want you to do. I want you to seek those things that are from above. I want you to seek the things that are, that are where, where Jesus Christ is seated. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he is seated there because that, that gives, uh, because that, that shows his authority. What he has been uh, blessed with, what he has been bestowed with, he is at the right hand of God. God's right hand has always been a, a place of authority. And, and he's seated there. There's only one time that Jesus Christ is standing there, and that happens in the book of Acts, when Stephen is being martyred. And as he is trying to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And as he's trying to say, you guys murdered him, they got upset. They started screaming at the top of their, 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 their voices. And they started ripping out their beard and their hair and tearing their clothes and throwing dust in the air as they do when they're very, very just uh, indignant about what a person is saying, trying to stop them from saying it. And he goes, no, look. He looks up in the sky and he says, and behold, he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now they were furious because in the Old Testament, he was always seated at the right hand of God. Now, my Lord, uh, he said in Psalms 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How can the Lord be sitting at the right hand or, and now he's standing, you're saying? We know that you're off your rocker. So we're going to rock you with real rocks. And Stephen was killed and he was stoned and he was martyred. And as he was dying, he said the same thing that Jesus said, Lord, do not hold this against them. And Jesus was standing in approval. He was standing there in approval. He says, all right, Stephen, I'm right, I'm waiting for you. But every time that we see Jesus Christ being displayed in heaven, in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, he says, uh, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand. In Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus as the one who died more than that? 
who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. In uh, Ephesians 1.20, he, he was raised from the dead and he seated him at his right hand. In Hebrews chapter 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty, uh, of the majesty on high. In Hebrews, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Over and over again, he is seated, he is seated, he is seated. And he is seated, you know why? Because he's confident that you are going to trust him. He is confident. He doesn't have to stand. He doesn't have to approve of your worthiness. He doesn't have to try to coerce you or beg you, please accept me, please, please, please accept me. Come on. Maybe next Sunday. Maybe, maybe next Sunday he'll do it. He's not up there begging you. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't, he doesn't ask for you to believe in him. He's seated there. He's seated there and he is confident that you will do what you promised to do. What you've already learned to do. What you've already been reading and, and studying and understanding, and you will do it. That's why we set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are in this world, not on the things that are this earth. If anything has taught us, if, any, if anything has taught us anything, is that this world, this earth, keeps shifting and changing in politics and beliefs and, and cultural, everything changes. You know, and I've been pretty harsh on science in itself, you know, because I. But it's not the science that I'm really harsh on. I'm not down on science. I'm down on the scientists more than anything else, trying to manipulate science in order to make it say what they want it to say. But science is from God. He put everything together. Nobody discovered gravity. Gravity always existed. Nobody discovered the, the, the law of thermodynamics. Nobody discovered the law of the opposite reactions. Nobody discovered these. Those things have always existed. Nobody discovered energy and electricity and all these things. They, they have just been given the wisdom to be able to use that for our benefit. And, and, and when God puts these things together and he gives them to us, you know, well, you know, don't, don't let me go there. Anyways, all these things, when we, when we trust God, he, he puts it together for us. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the world. Because the world is constantly shifting. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And how do you do that? Well, in Philippians... If you remember, we set our minds on things above. And you know what that is? Jesus says, don't worry. You know what the opposite of worry is? Worship. Did you put it up there already? Worship. <laughs> the opposite of worry is worship. See, because worry is focused thinking on the negative. You're constantly thinking, you're constantly thinking, you're constantly thinking about the things that could, would, should happen. And you're focused on how many, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you something, beloved. Worry and worship cannot occupy the same space. It cannot live in the same house. It, does not, it cannot be contained in the same room, in the same box. It's either you're going to worry or you're going to worship. You can't worry and worship at the same time. It just does not happen. It's like mixing water and oil. Because if you're worried, you're not trusting God. You don't have time to worship. And it's all a matter of just your mindset of thinking upon those things. Set your minds on things that are above. 
And, and, and here's the thing that Paul was doing here. He kind of used this little play on words because the Gnostics, their thought was always on the things above. You know, and all the things that they came from the celestial places. This is why Paul says where Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Where Christ is there confident that you're going to accomplish what needs to happen. Not from all these different thoughts and places and things that are coming from you or coming to you. Paul says you focus. And when you focus on God, that's called worship. See, when your mind is set on Jesus Christ, when your mind is set on the things above, when your mind is set on the Lord, that's called worship. Worship is giving to God everything that he deserves. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, worth and ship. You are giving him the worth that his lordship deserves. And you do that in your mind. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We were formed in the image of God. We were deformed by the world. And Jesus Christ wants to transform you and your mind to worship God. You focus your mind on God. And many of you have a hard time doing this because all your life you've been focusing on the negative. And it's understandable. It's not something that just happens. Boom, you, you have, it's a discipline. But I know that the more you do it, that the more you do it, the easier it gets. People ask me all the time, says, you know what, you don't ever have any problems. Oh, yeah, I do. I just choose not to focus on them. I just choose to focus on God. I just choose to focus on, hey, well, whatever God's going to, you know, you make it sound so simple. Well, it is. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. It's just been a practice that you do and you do. And you come in the church as one of them. You come here and you focus on worship. Worship is not music. I mean, it's part of it. Worship is not the songs that we sing. You know, worship is not the first part of the service, and then the rest of the part is the teaching. Worship is everything that we do. Right now, when we partake of the Lord's table, that's worship. Because we're following in obedience to what Jesus Christ said. Do this in remembrance of me. Yes, and I'm going to focus on you, Jesus, because when I take that bread, we're going to take it, and we're going to remember what you did on the cross until the day you come for us. It shoots us to, to history way back 2,000 years ago and it propels us to the future into when we are going to do this again. And when we are doing this, we have no time to worry what we shouldn't. Worship. See, and you are hidden in Christ. And Paul says in Philippians, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is of any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those things are the things you got to think about. This is the verse you got to take out and put in a little three by five card and carry it around with you when you're worried. You know what? I need to think about what's just. I need to think about what's pure. God is just. God is pure. God is lovely. You know, uh, God is commend. Yet yeah, all these things, He's excellent. But you know what? There's other people that display these same virtues. I know a lot of people that are honorable. I know people that are just and that are maybe, maybe not pure, but they have pure in heart and they want to serve God with all that they have. I know people who are lovely. I know people who are commendable. I know people, and you think about those. You call those people. You know, I just wanted to say hi. And you wait for them to, to bless you with a, a kind word or something. The bad thing is, is that we get so caught up in our worry and our, and our, our anxiety and everything else that we forget of who those people are. 
And I touched on, but from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the Father. Is what Jesus Christ said. The Son of Man standing at the right hand as in the time of Stephen. You, you know, and, and I was wanting to get through a whole bunch of this this morning, but, but somehow it, it just it came out to just these two verses because we, we have, have to understand that, that we cannot just learn and learn and learn if we're trying to put it into practice. And the one, one of the most basic practices to do is worry, anxiety. You know why? Because that's the one we do the most. Many of you have stopped in your old lifestyle. Many of you are no longer, you know, traveling, at least I hope not, uh, traveling in the same group that you used to do and doing the things that you used to do. Many of you are not doing that anymore. You're learning, you're developing, and you're growing. You're memorizing scripture. You're, you're knowing more about God's word. But, but I think that one of the biggest deterrents, one of the biggest hindrances to our spiritual growth is this part of worry, anxiety. You see, when we're hidden in Christ, in verse 3, we'll touch on this next week. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you're hidden in Christ, you're concealed in Christ. You, you, you know, believers share a common life with the Father and Son. When you're hidden in Jesus Christ, you, 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 you're partakers of the same thing that God has in Jesus Christ. You are now part of that as well because you're in Christ. There's no way that you can be in Christ and not be a part of what the grand scheme of plan is. You know, you, you become one with them. You know, you're concealed from the world. This, this new life is, it conceals the, the world, the world that can't see you. As a matter of fact, what they see is, like somebody said a little while ago, that you're crazy, that you're a robot, that you're being told what to do. They don't understand as to your worship and your love and your devotion, not only to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but to your church and to the cause of Christ in this world. They can't understand why you'd want to invest in that, those types of things. And then you are also uh, secured, and you are when you're in Christ, you're secured in Christ. In other words, believers are eternally secured. You're eternal, nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You are, Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand or out of my hand. You're His because you're in Christ. He's not going to throw you out if you're in Christ. And, and as I mentioned, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but bottom line let your beliefs dictate your behavior. Next time you're pressed with a challenge, what should I do? Well, what does the Bible say? How am I to respond to this? Well, there's some very practical things I can do. I can start setting my mind on the things above. In other words, think on those things. Meditate on those things. Memorize those things. Memorize some of the scriptures that we, we've gone over. Study those things. Look at those things. Apply those things. Let me ask you to stand Father, we want to thank you again for your word. And we also come to you in repentance, asking for forgiveness. Father, I, I stress at times. I seem to lose it every once in a while. And to think that you're not going to help me out in certain areas. And so, Father, we come to you in, in forgiveness. We also come to you in repentance. And I pray that today's message is one that will help us to hold on to the truth that you are going to care for and answer the prayers of your people. 
And all things, whether good or bad, are going to work out together for good. All things, especially for those that are called according to your purpose, that have been saved, those that are yours. And Jesus was very adamant about not worrying, not stressing. And God, you have said it from the very beginning. As you told, told Joshua, do not be afraid, do not, do not be discouraged, do not worry, do not be anxious. And throughout all the scriptures, someone once said there is at least 365 verses and 365 times, one for every day of the year, that commands us not to worry. And Father, I don't know if that's the actual count, but I know that that's one thing you have asked us not to do because you're our God, you're our Father. You know what we need. You're not going to give us anything evil. You're not going to give us anything that is not good for us. You always give us what we need. And sometimes it's discipline. And I pray, Father, that we can learn how to just trust in you in all things. And trust in you, Lord. Because you care more for us than you do the the birds and the lilies and anything else. And so because we are hidden in you, the Holy Spirit, you've given us that ability to be baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. We are new creations, and we ought to start acting like it. The old is gone, and the new has come. So Lord, as we partake of this bread and this juice, help us to remember what it took to get us to that place. The pain, the suffering, the scourging, the plucking of beard, the disrespect, the humiliation. Crown of the thorns, the cross, the nails, the spear in the side. Help us not to be children of little faith. Thank you, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name.